Hello, ladies, and welcome to another exciting episode on the Ask With Confidence podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today and hope you leave this episode feeling empowered to take on your most difficult conversations. I'm your host, Katherine Kanaki. I'm a nurse, mediator, and the chief operating officer at the American Negotiation Institute, and I am passionate about helping women like you get the most out of your conversations and get ahead in life. Before we start, is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If so, check out our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we would love to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. All right. So today we have Kim Ellsbach on the show. Kim, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Happy to be here. Fantastic. And for those of you who are listeners of Negotiate Anything Kwame's show, Kim was a guest on that show. Fantastic episode and ended with a teaser about crying in the workplace. And so now she is coming on to my show to talk about crying in the workplace. So I know that you talked about yourself and what you do on Kwame's show, the Negotiate Anything. But for those listeners that haven't heard that episode, why don't you tell the audience about yourself and what you do? Sure. I'm a professor at the University of California, Davis in the business school. And I have been here for about 23 years, did my PhD at Stanford, and before that worked as an industrial engineer for Quaker Oats. I study perception, broadly speaking, how people perceive each other, how they perceive their leaders, and how they perceive their organizations. So things like Are you professional? Are you credible? Are you trustworthy? Those are all perceptions that are really important in the workplace and um, both at the individual level and at the organizational level. So we also want to know, is this organization credible? Is it trustworthy? In addition to, are the leaders of it credible and trustworthy? So those are the kinds of things I've studied. And what I'm going to talk about today is how people are perceived in the workplace when they cry. And that often relates to whether they're perceived as being professional, as management material, or as somebody who could move up in the organization. Fascinating. Well, first of all, I'm so fascinated that you worked for Quaker Oats. I had no idea. That's really interesting. (laughs) Fascinating tidbit. Second, how did you get interested in crying in the workplace? Where does that fit in? Yeah, well, it is very personal for me because I happen to be a crier. There are some Dutch researchers who've studied adult crying quite a bit, and they've developed a crying proneness scale, which just shows how prone you are to cry in any number of contexts. And it's an individual difference. So some people are just more likely to cry than others in any context. And I I tend to be high on that scale. So I, somebody who cries during Kodak commercials and movies, and, and I have cried at work. And I was very interested in how people perceived me after I cried at work. And I found that there was literally no research on how people are perceived when they cry at work. So that's what motivated me to do the research. Fascinating. I am also a self proclaimed crier. And one of the reasons we're having you on this podcast is because females tend to be more of the emotional ones. We get labeled as the emotional ones. That's an interesting thing because as it turns out, women aren't more emotional than men. They just express emotions differently. 
So men and women feel the same emotions in the same contexts. But men, when they're boys, when they're young and growing up, learn how not to cry, by and large, not every man. And women, by and large, don't learn that skill. And again, some women, some girls do learn that skill, but some don't. And so, or more don't. So as a group, women are more likely not to have learned the skill of not crying. And therefore, they are more likely to express any emotion through crying than are men. But men are just as emotional as women. So I think that's a, it's an important distinction to make. It's about how you display your emotion, whether or not you feel emotion. Fascinating. I mean, even myself, my perception about the distinction between men and women, my typical perception about that is that women tend to be more emotional. So yeah, takes us in a great segue into our first point. What is that perception about women who cry at work? Yeah, so what we found is that women who cry at work tend to cry in four relatively common but stressful situations that happen at work. And these are, one, dealing with a personal issue, such as a death in the family or a divorce. Second, dealing with critical feedback, so a negative performance evaluation. Dealing with work stress, so it could be crunch time and getting a project done or disagreements about work project. And then the last one is a heated meeting, a formal meeting where there are some disagreements and perhaps some conflict that happens. And what we found is that women can cry in all of these situations, but there are right and wrong ways to cry in each of those situations. So we identified what we called behavioral scripts that dictate how you should act in any of those situations. And to the extent that you cry in concordance with the script, cry the correct way, you're more likely to be perceived as dealing with a difficult issue or a tough work situation. You're you know, sort of an average person, but anybody would react this way given the situation. If you don't follow the script, we found that women are much more likely to be perceived according to some negative attributions. And these are dispositional attributions. So she's weak, she's unprofessional, and she's manipulative are the three attributions that are more likely to come out to women who cry at work. I should note that our research focused on women who cry at work because we try to collect data on men who cry at work. We have a small amount of data on that, but we just didn't, weren't able to collect enough data on men who cry at work in these sort of naturally occurring situations to say anything definitive about it. So mostly what we're talking about in this research is women. Very interesting. So now those right versus the wrong ways, yeah. what defines a wrong way to cry at, in those situations? Yeah, so there are some very specific things for each situation, but I would say the general rules are don't cry in a way that disrupts or interrupts the work of others. So if the crying goes on for a long period of time, if it's done in public, and if it's done in a way that prevents other people from getting their work done, for example, a negative performance evaluation, if the crime disrupts the ability of your supervisors from actually getting the negative performance information across, 
then those kinds of disruptions are seen as the most negative. So by and large, disrupting the work of others or preventing others from getting their work done leads to these negative attributions of weak, unprofessional, and manipulative. Okay. And then on the flip side of that, what are the right ways to cry? Yeah. So the right ways to cry are to do everything you can to show that A, you're trying to stop the crying and B, to show concern for the feelings of others. Sounds kind of ironic that you're the one who's crying, you're the one who's upset, but you have to show that you're not trying to make other people around you uncomfortable and that you're trying to allow them to continue doing their work. So apologizing for the crying and leaving the situation. So if you're in a meeting, just getting up and leaving the meeting. If you're in a performance evaluation, maybe saying asking for a break or asking to reschedule. If you're in an open cubicle work setting, perhaps leaving and going into a private office or to a bathroom, those kinds of things send a signal that trying to stop the crying and you're aware of other people's work situation, you're trying to not disrupt it. Interesting. Now, with sending the wrong signal, if you're leaving the meeting, if you're in a negotiation, let's say, and all of a sudden you get up and you're crying and you leave the meeting, can you come back from that? Yeah, I think you can. And I think the important thing to do is to say, I think it's best for us to take a break. That doesn't mean I don't want to resolve the issues that we're talking about. That doesn't mean I don't want to continue this. I think it would be good for us to continue it later. So send me an email about some potential times where we can pick this up again. So make sure that they understand that you need to take a break from the discussion now, but you absolutely do want to come back to it and tackle the issues. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to connect. Our workshops are completely customized to reflect the specific and individual concerns faced by you and your team. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Click the link in the description to learn more. And now, let's get back to the episode. Now, As a self-proclaimed crier, the tears just come whether I want them to or not. And I know that we had this discussion on the phone weeks ago. Is there anything that I can do to, you know, save face or stop the crying? Yeah. So I think what we found, and although the research that we published focused mainly on perceptions of criers, so that's people who are observing the criers. We actually talked to quite a few criers themselves. And almost to a person, they would say exactly what you said. There's nothing I can do to stop the crying once it starts. So trying to stop the crying is often not going to be successful. What we did find that is often helpful is to tell people up front who you work with or who may be involved in stressful projects with about your propensity to cry and let them know what they need to do or don't need to do more likely. So to say to them, I just want to warn you, I'm a crier. If I start crying, it doesn't mean that you need to do anything, but 
if I do start to cry and it's disrupting the meeting, the best thing for you to do is just take a break. And so if I don't suggest it, it'd be good for you to suggest, hey, maybe this is a good time to take a break. It doesn't mean that I'm upset with you or anything. It just means that I've become upset or frustrated or experiencing emotions. And that's not a bad thing, but sometimes it might mean that we need to take a break from what we're doing. And just give them the heads up that that might start and that they don't need to feel uncomfortable about what to do because you've told them what to do. A lot of the discomfort we find from observers is this feeling of helplessness, of not knowing what to do. And then that creates a lot of anxiety and stress for them, which then quickly turns into annoyance at the crier. How could you be so inconsiderate to make me feel this uncomfortable by crying? So I think that sort of letting people know ahead of time is probably the most useful thing a crier can do to lessen the negative perceptions of them. Absolutely. I think one of the things that has worked really well for myself is if I know that I'm going into a stressful situation and if somebody is coming with me that I'm comfortable with telling them, letting them know that, hey, this is probably going to make me cry and they can look out for it. And so then kind of have like a signal and then I can just step out of the room and they can take over. And then the other party, they don't even have to be aware. You just pick up the pace where it's been left off, kind of like a safe word, I guess, in that sense. That being said, what is one of the biggest mistakes that we make that can hurt us with crying? I think one of the biggest mistakes is trying to keep, if you are a crier, is to try to keep going in the meeting once the crying has reached that point of no return, to try to just push through it. Because again, most of the criers we talk to, I would say almost every one of the criers we talk to said that they can't stop crying at that point and they need to take a break. And I think especially if you're in some sort of work situation where people have to work together, so you're in a meeting or you're in a project group, by trying to push through and keep going, you're just making the disruption that much worse. And so at that point, it's better just to stop the work and excuse yourself and plan a time to come back to it. Because the longer that you persist in and don't stop the meeting or the group work, the more annoyed your colleagues are going to be and the more they're going to focus on how you're making them feel rather than what the work is that needs to get done. That makes a lot of sense. Now, if you're being perceived, like if you have a reputation as a crier, you have this reputation as a crier and you're being perceived as unprofessional, how do you recover from that? How do you minimize that? How do you move on from that? You're a crier. You can't, there's not much you can do to stop it. How do you move on from that? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is just education. So making sure people understand that crying is just a way to express emotion. It's no different than raising your voice or perhaps furrowing your brow. Um, There are lots of ways people express emotion and we really don't want people not to feel. We want people to be humans and that there's a lot of good things about feeling emotions and having empathy and, and things like that. So educating people that this doesn't mean I'm more emotional than other people. 
it's not necessarily a bad thing even to be one who can feel emotion, but that it is something that can make other people uncomfortable. And for that reason, if you know you're a prior, you know, just educating people about, look, if this happens, I want you to know that it doesn't mean that I don't think what we're doing is important or that we have to stop doing it, but that we may need to take a break. Just like if you had somebody in the meeting who would get upset about something, but find that they don't cry, but they still maybe can't go on and discuss the thing, the issue rationally. You might say, you know, what we need to do is give people an opportunity to take breaks from stressful situations when they feel like their emotions are getting in the way of them behaving in a rational manner or in a manner that is most conducive to group work. So that if you feel like you're getting upset about something, even if you're not a crier, that you should call for a break. Make it more, make that, using that break uh, tactic as something that anybody can use, not just criers. Um, I think that also helps. Just creating this education around emotion, the fact that we're human, that we feel emotions, and that if it, it is getting in the way of work, that anyone should be willing to take a break from the work for a moment. See, that sounds, sounds so obvious. <laughs> that makes so much sense. But then how do you reconcile that with people don't like to be vulnerable in the workplace and also see that as a sign of weakness? And we don't just want to go walking around the office being like, hey, I'm a crier. And I'm going to just open up over here and just be sobbing like a puddle on the floor sometimes. And guys, just be okay with it. Just ignore me. I'm fine. <laughs> How do we deal with that with not being like too much of an open book, yeah. but also creating an environment with it's just like we all have emotions. We're human. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to come from the top. So if we want to change the culture to be more accepting of emotions in the workplace, um, any kind of expression of emotion, and also understand that people may um, need to take a break from work for any reason if they're feeling emotional about something. To the extent that that guidance and role modeling comes from the top, that can create psychological safety around being a crier at work. That's okay, that's acceptable. And if you are a crier and you know that. It may happen. You maybe want to have a confidant or colleagues who can be there for you and with you in stressful situations where it may occur, where crime may occur, so that they can give you that safe signal or help out with saying, hey, guys, um, I think this is a good time to stop. Um, I think this is, we've gotten to the point where we're not really making progress on this. Let's take a break now. And that person can be a trusted colleague who can help out in, in making the workplace more human, more accepting of the fact that humans have a range of emotions and that sometimes we just need to let each other feel <laughs> and not worry about getting everything done right now. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if that's not a super satisfying answer, I know, but to the extent that you can have somebody at the top be your advocate, that definitely helps. I don't think that there's ever going to be a 100% black and white. Absolutely, this is the answer, especially when it comes to emotions, because emotions aren't black and white. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You definitely need somebody in your corner. And that being said, what if you're in a meeting and you're crying and it's 
the other side. Is there a way to organization on the other side, something that they can do or a way to approach them? Yeah. One of the things that we can do as managers to try to just make it easier for employees who tend to be prone to crying is two things. One is provide safe spaces for crying. (laughs) Make sure that if you know this is going to be a stressful performance evaluation because you know this is going to be negative, there's going to be some negative feedback given. Make sure that you do it in an enclosed office. Make sure that you know ahead of time that you may have to take a break. You know, prepare for the possibility of crying in those situations where they're likely to happen and make sure you're not in a situation where you're going to disrupt the work of others when these things happen. Then the second thing is just educating people about the propensity to cry, that this is an individual difference and that people who cry often, there's nothing wrong with them or they're not having failed in any way. It's just some people have, that's just who they are. They are more likely to cry than others. Some people are more likely to to laugh than others. This is just part of who you are and we shouldn't penalize people for it but we should know that there are some things we can do. Be prepared to take breaks from meetings. Be prepared to allow folks to leave the meetings. Make sure that um, that work that is that we can foresee as being stressful, that we do in, in a more private setting where it's less likely to be disruptive. So I think those are things that managers can do to lessen sort of the unfair negative reactions that people have to crime. Definitely. Also, it's a difficult conversation. And as we teach here at the American Negotiation Institute, you want to make sure that you're addressing the emotion first. The tears may come, but let them get through it and make sure that they're processing the emotion. And then you move on and you problem solve, you ask questions and you get through it. Yeah, absolutely. And to the extent that the person is higher up who's setting that, setting that tone and that culture, then I think people are more likely to take it to heart. So yeah, we need mantras, criers unite, and <laughs> let's, let's make sure that people understand that this is just a very common thing that happens um, for a lot of people. And it doesn't mean we can't be successful or good at our jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are at time. So I do want to make sure that I get to my favorite question, my bonus question, what is the one thing that you want to leave the audience with in order to empower them? I think that if you're a crier, tell people that you're a crier and that it's likely to happen. It's so freeing. Once that's out of the bag, once you let go of that and not try to hide it, it's very empowering. It makes you feel better, but it also gives them the knowledge that they need to not feel uncomfortable and react negatively to you if you do cry. So be open about your your crying, (laughs) wear it proudly, and don't be ashamed of it. Absolutely. I don't think that that means that you have to wear your heart on your sleeve. You don't need to just be an open book, but definitely be open and honest about where you're at. And Yeah. With those people who, who you trust and work with closely, who might be the people who observe you crying, I think it's a a good thing. Absolutely. Now, before you go, Kim, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you. But before you go, how can the audience get in touch with you? You can reach me. um, The best way is through email. If you can't remember this, you can go to the University of California Davis 
Graduate School of Management, and you'll find my webpage, and all my information is there. But if you can remember it, you can just email me at kdelsbach at ucdavis.edu. And that's the best way of getting in touch with me. Fantastic. Well, we will have uh, the link in the description below. And you can also find Kim's episode on Negotiate Anything. What was that episode on? Remind me again. It was on trust in negotiations, how to develop trust how to maintain, develop trust during negotiations. Yes. So you can find Kim's episode on Kwame's podcast, Negotiate Anything on Developing Trust. It's a fantastic episode. So definitely go check that out. And there will be the links that you can go check out there, but they will also be down below. Kim, again, thank you so much. This was such an informative episode. I learned so much and we will definitely want to talk with you again. All right. Thanks so much, Catherine. Thanks, Kim. Thanks again for being a listener of the Ask with Confidence podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're enjoying the content, please subscribe and review. We want this podcast to reflect what you, the listener, are experiencing in your everyday life and your feedback will help us do just that. Again, thank you. And we hope you join us in the next episode.